Everything is part of this natural meditation, presencing. All the sense input, allowing it to appear and disappear in the field of consciousness, just spacious clarity, aware of awareness itself, aware of thoughts, feelings, perceptions, sensations, memories, awareness of thoughts. Mindfulness of thoughts is meditation, not just thinking. Mindful of sounds is meditation, not just hearing and so forth. Seeing through all dreamlike, momentary, illusory appearances, phenomena, and noumena, or mind stuff. Seeing through, recognizing, seeing through their hollowness, their transitory, illusory, interconnected nature. Seeing through all dreamlike, momentary appearances, and resting aware in awareness itself. Awareness, aware of awareness, a non-dual or uncompartmentalized totality and completeness beyond outside or inside, self or other, meditation or distraction. Everything is part of the Buddha mind, the big picture, Mahamudra, Dzogchen, awareness, the great snow globe, the Dharmakaya, the totality, naked awareness or pure presence, Rikpa, self-recognizing, transrealescent Rikpa, In hearing, just hearing, and seeing, just seeing. No one to hear anything and no one listening. No one seeing anything and no one looking for anything, nothing to see. Everything already perfectly at rest. Leave it as it is and rest the weary mind. Letting go, letting be.
The mantra of love and compassion, oh, so peaceful. Oh, Mani Padme. Oh, Mani Padme. Oh, Mani. Oh, Mani Padme. Padme Hung. Oh, Mani. The Dalai Lama's mantra, Om Mani Padme, Om Mani Padme. The jewel in the lotus, the Buddha within mantra, Om Mani Padme, Mommy, pray me home. Oh, mommy, pad me. <clears throat> May all beings be happy. Oh, mommy, pad me. Oh, oh, mommy, pad me. Oh, mommy, pad me home. Oh, mommy, pad me. May all beings be content, peaceful at ease. Omani Padme. Healed and whole again. Omani Padme. Omani Padme. The tune has four lines. Now we're on the third. Omani Padme Ho Oh 
Singing is believing. May you all be healed and restored. The planet is self-healed, restored. Compassion for all who suffer, feeling with them, empathizing, and being removed to help. Empathy is the root of compassion, feeling with others. May you all be free from harm, danger, fear. Join in with these well-wishing, loving-kindness and compassion, affirmations, prayers, aspirations and resolves. Love for all equally who are like our own family, who want and need and suffer, same as we do. Love unconditional, divine, love flowing freely, breathing it out, breathing it in. Embracing all, one with all. Embracing oneself, accepting oneself totally. Warts and all. Oh, money, precious jewel. Of spirit. Blossoming like a lotus, loving or loving oneself too, embracing yourself, cut yourself some slack for a change. Why not? Love for all beings, just like we just like us, so many ways. Want the need, same as we do. Joy to the world, radiated, embody a joy. All the Brahma Viharas, the divine heartitudes, how the gods roll. 
Dharma of awakening, awakening together, interwoven, into being, intermeditation, one circle, one sangha, one family, one beloved community, sangha, one mandala of wholeness in the great perfection, this earth like an altar, all beings, the garden goddesses on it. Um, uh, and the bodhisattvas, Buddhas, Dakas and Dakinis on this altar of the earth. Um, this Buddha field, this pure land. Oh, Mani, oh, Mani, Padme, oh, Shanti, peace and harmony. Love flowing freely, breathing it out, breathing it in, radiating and reabsorbing simultaneously. Joyous Dharma of awakening. Gently, softly, oh, Melting, dissolving, and in the light, love, bliss, peace. May all beings everywhere 
with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do, may all be awakened, liberated, healed, fulfilled, and free. May there be peace and harmony in this world and throughout all possible realms of existence and an end to war and violence, poverty, injustice, inequality, and oppression. And may we all together complete the spiritual journey. One Sangha, one Satsang, one beloved community, a single mandala here in the pure land, the Buddha field of the natural great perfection. How sweet it is. Again, bowing to the Buddha in your seat. Don't overlook her. Just leave it here. What, when I get up, I'll try to do something with it. Okay. Good, thank you. Is it working now? Yes. Good, thanks. I need to see the schedule. I know it generally. Ah, it seems redundant to say anything after that. Singing is believing, as they say. If you like chanting, chanting is a great part of many, if not most, spiritual traditions, sacred music, shabd, sacred sound, japa, mantra yoga, in Tibetan Buddhism certainly, a lot of chanting, (laughs) chanting meditation. If you like what we just chanted, you can learn it from my CD, Chance to Awaken the Buddhist Heart with Stephen Halpern. There's about 10 of these traditional Tibetan Sanskrit chants on it with some guided in between. Today's subject is the six kinds of mindfulness, the secrets of Tibetan mindfulness and the practice of presencing. If you're not here now, you won't be there then, I can assure you. But now is, the now is getting so old, ain't it? <laughs> so much talked about. Similarly with mindfulness. So hoping, intending, trying to take a fresh approach and th- think about it and also bring together the different approaches and you know, yanas and schools of thought on this, especially from the Tibetan tradition and my own experience over the decades and so forth. Talking about this today, thinking about how we can integrate mindfulness and awareness into every facet, nook and cranny of daily life, which is, of course, the real practice, not just sitting on a cushion like a frog on a rock, hoping to catch a fly, or worse, a log or a stump from a tree just sitting there. 
I was in somebody's bathroom a couple days ago, and uh, I know you, you, you know why I'm telling you this, and you want to know what happened, but I'm not going to tell you. But I was in somebody's bathroom, and there was a little guitar, a mini guitar, on the shelf right over the potty, and it had a few nice colors on it. And there was a quote on it from Woody Guthrie. It said, this is an instrument that destroys fascism. And I thought, Dharma is an instrument that destroys oppression and bondage, fascism, and worse, imprisonment. Of course, Dharma is a peaceful and peace-loving, harmonizing, healing elixir. The medicine that Buddha says heals all our afflictions, our kalashas, our afflictions and obscurations. Buddha said he was like the doctor, the Dharma teachings and practices like medicine, and the Sangha, the followers, us like the patients. I think that's a good model. It's up to us to take the medicine as prescribed, or at least to check it out and see if we're with the right doctor and the right medicines and see if it works. If it doesn't work, who needs it? Who needs it? This is an instrument, a medicine that destroys bondage, imprisonment in the dream of suffering and illusion. But we'll get to that. Mindfulness is a major vital ingredient, some would even say the most active main ingredient in Buddha Dharma. And who could argue with that? I mean, if you ask the Dalai Lama what's the essence of Buddhism, he will say, what? Not mindfulness. (laughs) He will say wisdom and compassion, or the Four Noble Truths. And yet, there are other teachers like my own teacher, Manindraji and Goenkaji, the teachers of the founders of this center going back to India and Burma and beyond back in ancient times, who would say mindfulness is the main essence of the path of enlightenment beyond Buddhism. Buddhism, Shmoodism, as they would say. (laughs) Or the Cornfields, Goldsteins, Salzburgs, Epsteins, and so on would say. (laughs) <laughs> the American Buddhists. <laughs> Buddhism, Shmoodism, better to become a Buddha, be a Buddha than a mere Buddhist. This is far more significant and larger and deeper than just joining and being a member. Well, of course, the Sangha is a beautiful thing, and belonging and feeling supported and loved all around and helped all along is a wonderful thing. It's one of the three main pillars of Buddhism, Buddha Dharma Sangha. I don't have to belabor the point here at this center, Spirit Rock, this, this rock of Dharma in the West and the world. So I was thinking about mindfulness and how wonderful it is. And also people tell me that they don't hear about it much from Tibetan teachers, although now, you know, mindfulness is stock is up, so everybody's talking about it a little more. But still, in general, um, from the Vajrayana and Tibetan teachers and other kinds, you know, Zen teachers don't talk about mindfulness that much or they didn't used to. You with me? 
So mindfulness is sort of the specialty, the province of the Theravadan and Vipassana movement in the West. That's been teaching it for decades, not mantra, not devotion, guru yoga, bhakti, not yoga, and so forth, not prayer, not visualization. You know, there's a lot of kinds of meditation going around. There's a lot of bowing going down in the Buddhist ghetto. (laughs) A lot of sitting going down in the Buddhist ghetto. There's also a lot of misunderstanding, of course, because this Buddhism and Dharma and Eastern thought is new to us. It's only been in America for one or two hundred years. It's only been popular, hot for the last 50, 60 years. And it's new to many of us, you know, new. We're all beginners and, you know, Buddha buds, bodhisattvas budding up on the path. On the path. Let's talk about it. Then we'll have some coffee later. Even if we've been in the Dharma 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, or I don't know how many lifetimes we're still new. And it's fresh. Beginner's mind has many possibilities, as the Master says. The ex- in the expert's mind, few. It's so chock full already. So some people say, oh, I didn't know you, you uh, practiced or learned or studied mindfulness in the Tibetan tradition. So just to start off, and also because in our tradition... The non-sectarian practicing lineage of Tibet, the Vajrayana practicing lineage of Milarepa and Longchenpa, the Mahamudra Dzogchen lineage of awareness practice. We're very uh, much devotional or grateful or involved with teachers and teachings and study and practice over the decades and millennium. I wanted to bring forth a poem, a spontaneous song of enlightenment called the Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness by my own Lama, my late root Lama, the Lama of the, many of the Vipassana teachers here in the West who studied Dzogchen, Nyosho Kempo Rinpoche. It's called the Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness. This is in a book we wrote together called National Great Perfection, Dzogchen Songs and Teachings by Nyosho Kempo Rinpoche in 1992. It's called the Vajra Mirror of Mindfulness. Homage to the sovereign Within, the king, the queen, self-arisen mindfulness. Remember, I'm going to get to the sixth kind of mindfulness. So mindfulness may or may not just be one thing, like being here now. You know, frogs are also here now, and bumps on logs, even, here now. Homage to the sovereign, king, queen, the self-arising mindfulness, innate mindfulness, awareness, Then he takes this stance of the Vajra master, saying, I am the Vajra, remember this is called the mirror of mindfulness, Vajra mirror, the diamond mirror. I am the Vajra of mindfulness, the diamond, the scepter, the lightning bolt of mindfulness, the Vajra. Look, Vajra friends, when seeing me, be mindful. I am the mirror of mindfulness, like a Vajra cutting through the veil of illusion. I mirror your careful, present attention. Mindfulness. Look clearly, moment by moment, beyond attraction and aversion, and see directly into the very essential nature of heart-mind. So mindfulness brings wisdom also, not just concentration, but insight, awareness, self-knowledge, etc. Then he goes into 
some poetic kind of pain or like hymn to mindfulness. Mindfulness is the very root of all the dharmas. Mindfulness is the main body of spiritual practice. Without mindfulness, you're like a parrot parroting your prayers. Without mindfulness, you're like an earthworm doing your vows, your bows. Earthworm doing your bows. Without mindfulness, you're like an animal just stretching when you do yoga. Mindfulness is the aid or support to the wisdom of innate wakefulness. Another kind of mindfulness. Innate wakefulness. Mindfulness is the support of Mahamudra, Mahaati, Dzogchen, and Majjhimika, the four great meditative schools of Tibetan Vajrayana, the diamond path. Lack of mindfulness will allow the negative forces and demons to overcome you. Without mindfulness, you will be swept away by laziness and indecisiveness. Lack of mindfulness causes all kinds of harmful deeds. Without mindfulness and presence of mind, nothing can be accomplished, neither worldly nor spiritual. Then he goes on to the last part, talking to us specifically in our three-year retreat. He actually wrote this with a magic marker. He was a permanent outpatient, as he said, in his last few decades, because he was stroked out with a magic marker on a roll of paper towels. We didn't have that much stuff in the three-year retreat in the 80s. He wrote it on a roll of paper towels and tacked this inside the gate of our three-year retreat center in Tibetan, this roll of paper towels with this poem on it. Lack of mindfulness (laughs) piles up three years of shit. (laughs) Without mindfulness, an ocean three years deep of piss. With, sorry, without mindfulness, you are like heartless zombies, my dear friends. <laughs> Don't take it personally. Dear Dharma friends, oh, Kempo, so kind to us. Dear Dharma friends, this is the end. Please be mindful. Stay awake. Don't be a zombie, a walking corpse. Then he prays, may all my dear Vajra friends join together with me in attaining stable mindfulness. That's another kind of mindfulness, stable. And ascend to the throne of total awareness. So mindfulness is considered the panacea or the active ingredient in the pill of Dharma. When they talk about seven factors of enlightenment in the sutras, the Buddhist original teaching sutras, scriptures, There are seven factors of enlightenment, like balance, discipline, renunciation, concentration. The pivotal one that activates and also harmonizes or settles is mindfulness. The fulcrum, the pivotal one, is mindfulness. It's the main ingredient in Buddha's recipe for awakening, for enlightenment, the path of enlightenment, which is what Buddha Dharma is all about. The goal of Buddhist Dharma is enlightenment, awakening, the awakened life, and recognizing that we're not separate, including others and all in this great blossoming, this lotus-like unfolding, an unfolding from within our heart and our mind and our being, not waiting for somebody to give it to us as if from above. 
So if there is a higher power in Buddhism, it's the inner power. What we call in Mahayana Buddhism, the Buddha nature. That's another subject I'm not going to go into, but here in America and the West, we can't avoid considering who's doing what around here. Other power, higher power, self-power, group. And I'm not, I don't want to harp on the word power, but you know what I'm talking about. God, ourselves, can we do it alone, and so forth. So mindfulness is so important and beautiful and usable and accessible and far beyond any ism or schism. As we can see today, secular mindfulness is helping performance coaches, athletes, helping heal. Mindfulness-based stress reduction is in most of the hospital today uh, with death and dying, full relaxation and health and so many other things besides the ancient timeless spiritual enlightenment. I see you back there, music master. And um, it's a beautiful thing. But it may or may not be enough, depending on what you mean by mindfulness. That's why there are seven factors in Buddha's recipe, seven factors of enlightenment. I recommend you read about this in the books of the teachers of this center and also Joseph Goldstein, the pioneering Vipassana master in Massachusetts and in America with his new big book called what? Mindfulness, <laughs> which has everything in there. It's like the big book of mindfulness. I'm waiting for the little book of mindfulness, but you guys are serious here. The big book of mindfulness is worth having, even if you just have it on your altar or use it as a doorstop to your meditation room. <laughs> and we love Joseph just as we love the Asian masters and the Masters of the past. We love our teachers too, Joseph and Jack and Sharon and Sylvia and too many to mention. Who can, I have no memory anymore. All of our friends and teachers and Dharma brothers and sisters on the path. So helpful on the path over so many years and decades and probably lifetimes. And we honor them. And we don't want to imitate those who have gone before, but actualize and embody what they actualized and embodied, which is far from imitation, which is about authenticity, not becoming some foreign Buddha, becoming American Buddha, becoming authentically oneself. As we say in the Dzogchen or great perfection teachings of Tibet, we're all Buddhas by nature, not Buddhists, God forbid. We're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize who and what we are, truly are. Kala Rinpoche always used to say this, quoting from the Hevadra Tantra, Tantric scripture. We're all Buddhas by nature. It's only adventitious obscurations. It's only temporary obscurations which veil that fact. That's from the Tantric scriptures. We only have to recognize who and what we are. That's an awesome statement of the inner power. Like Dorothy when she saw the Wizard of Oz, she had to see the wizard. He's the one that said, told her, she pointed out. His pointing out instruction was she had the power to click the heels of her red shoes to get home. Anybody remember? Is that deep or what? <laughs> she had the power, but he had to point it out. She forgot. She was a little girl from Kansas. She forgot there in Oz with so much going on, all the monkeys and witches and, you know, <laughs> Yellow brick and, and, you know, scarecrows and Buddhas and bodhisattvas and everything. 
She had the shoes. She had the inner power, but she had to click her heels. So that's the pointers. That's what the Dharma, the teacher, the elders, the Sangha are here, the teachings to remind us. To click. To twig to it. To get with it. Not again it. Co-meditation. To get with it. To be with it. Whatever it is in the moment. Intermeditation. Not separate from. We'll talk about that later. So mindfulness is a wonderful, rich, juicy subject. Mindfulness also has a friendly appreciation side to it that I feel we don't hear enough today about. Mostly we hear mindfulness is just be here now, clear awareness, non-reactive awareness, and that's fine. That's a lot, because God bless you. As the Dalai Lama likes to say, and then he goes, (laughs) in his inimitable, you know, dear boyish way. You haven't seen him at Yale on, probably most of you, on Halloween evening taking out his Groucho Marx glasses and nose and mustache when he comes on at the stage at Yale on Halloween evening. I mean, he's a student of the world mythology. He's, he's with it. How serious do we have to be? So mindfulness also has a friendly appreciation side to it and a wisdom understanding side to it, understanding karma, how things work, so not just seeing it as it is. Seeing things as they are in the present moment is good. Be here now, presence of mind. But there's also a wisdom or enlightenment component to it. If you look in the sutras, you'll find these definitions. Mindfulness or sati in Pali. Smriti in Sanskrit. Drenpa in Tibetan. Drenpa means remembering or recollectedness, being recollected, remembering what you're doing while you're doing is mindfulness. The opposite of mindfulness Mindlessness, sorry. Perhaps the easiest definition of what is mindfulness is it's the opposite of mindlessness, which we all understand and know what the downsides are of mindlessness at the wheel or due to substances or other reasons, not paying inattentiveness. So mindfulness is a great attentiveness too. So mindfulness seems to me is a very uh, present awareness, non-reactive appreciation or uh, seeing things as they are and seeing also how they work, which is the first two steps on the Eightfold Path, wise view and wise understanding or intentions, karma, cause and effect. Seeing how things are in the present moment also some wisdom or insight into how they work. But you can think about these things. I'm just spreading some seeds today. So as I was saying, when I was looking through my notes I, uh, on mindfulness from my studies in the 70s and 80s, then I found the six kinds of mindfulness from Tukorgan Rinpoche, the Grand Master of Dzogchen that many of us studied with, who was the Guru Dzogchen Master of the late 16th grade Karmapa. But I couldn't find anybody who could really tell me what the six were as I went around in my desultory fashion researching. It means chatting up my friends and colleagues and teachers here and there over a year or two. And then I came upon it. Some Buddhist scholar told me it was in Nagarjuna's letter to a friend, King. And those six are actually not that interesting to us, but I'm going to mention it to put it in the record 
the red, white, and blue records of American Buddhism, Buddhism for the West. Because there were different views on mindfulness, you know, we could make a whole, um, like, historical list of the development of, over the years. In the beginning, Buddha taught mindfulness and the four main positions for cultivating mindfulness. He didn't call it meditation. Can anybody tell me what are the four main positions for cultivating mindfulness? Or, quote, for meditating? Yeah, easy. Yeah. Sitting. Oh, come on. <laughs> Standing. Walking. And lying down. I mean, that covers it. In other words, any position. Not just sitting with our legs crossed on the floor. Our fingers crossed. Our eyes crossed, our fingers crossed, and hoping for enlightenment. No. Standing meditation, walking meditation, lying down. And also, if he was alive today, I'm sure he'd add a few extra innings, like jogging, you know, squatting, thumbing, whatever. Better be mindful and mindless. Always. Yes? That doesn't have to do with religion. So... There's a great opportunity here for secular mindfulness, for like mind training, for attitude transformation, for wisening up, for true higher education, bringing the higher back into higher education, wisdom education, not just vocational training like we see today, higher education. To have some of these techniques and tools, these inner sciences brought back into the greater curriculum, contemplative practices can help people become better whatever they are. They don't have to convert to Buddhism or even be religious. Secular, humanistic, philosophical, just be a better mensch. Be a mensch, a real person, a decent citizen, not a schnook. I won't mention any names. We know who we are. When I asked Joe Goldstein, who's easy to get a hold of, he's an old friend of mine that lives in the Puritan state, like me, the Pilgrim State, now subtitled the Snow State. How many, Joey, how many kinds of mindfulness are there? He said, uh, well, in the sutras, there's two. There's directed mindfulness, like intended, directed, and there's Undirected, like panoramic, like undirected mindfulness, being aware of whatever comes up. Yes? That's commonly understood if you study Buddhism. So I said, oh, that sounds interesting. Are there any other kinds? Can you think of He said, no, I haven't really heard much about that. He said, maybe I should start studying mindfulness. <laughs> you know, he's such an expert and master. I mean, he is head and shoulders above most of the meditation teachers in the West. He's a real pioneer, like Jack Korn and the rest, the, the sem pioneering masters in the West. Wonderful bodhisattvas. So I said, Joey, there's six kinds of mindfulness in Tibetan Buddhism. I heard it from Tukwurjan Rinpoche, who, who Joey had also studied with. Um, and Joe said, oh, you Tibetans, you're always one-upping us. <laughs> If we say there's two yanas, you'll say there's three. <laughs> or nine. Anyway, after we got done fighting, 
I, I was looking around, you know, for other kinds of mindfulness and um, was thinking that, you know, I found there's six kinds of equanimity and there's, there's a lot of uh, good instructions or, or codifications over the years in the meditation manuals and texts and Q&As with the masters over history, not just the sutras and the shastra commentaries and so on we could look at to help guide our practice, which really is what I'm interested in. I don't know about you, I'm not really interested in Buddhist scholarship or translating. But awakening is so much more um, important and enticing to me. So we could say besides the directed and undirected, there's like natural mindfulness. We'll get to this. These are my six mindfulnesses of attention. Attention is natural mindfulness. We all have it, just like we all have muscles, but they're not all firm or well-developed. Some are atrophied. So natural mindfulness. And then there's generated mindfulness, where you try to generate it, like directed. You, you try to cultivate it and raise it. And then there's um, intermittent mindfulness, where it comes and goes, and you try and it goes away. I'll get a little more into it and flesh it out. I want to have a Q&A before a break. So those are good three kinds to understand, to be guiding us. And then you get to like stable mindfulness, where mind, mind, attention, mind. We're way too mental in Buddhism, but that's the talk we got at the moment. If I say heart-mind, it really doesn't add much at the moment, though it's a good term. Mind stays on the object of attention, as meditation texts say. Like when you concentrate on something, your mind will stay on it. Like, you won't cut off your fingers while you're uh, cutting the board with the saw. If you have intermittent mindfulness, you might. Anybody know any carpenters? I mean, I'm no one to talk. Namaste. <laughs> the downsides of mindlessness. The upside, the virtues of mindfulness. Worldly and sacred, enlightening. So, generated, but first natural mindfulness, we all have attention. Like if we're interested in something, we naturally attend to it. That's mindfulness, natural, innate. And then generated, cultivated, and then stable, uh, intermittent. As we get used to it and trained, it comes and goes. We use the leash of remindfulness to come back to what we're meditating on, come back to the object of attention. You with me? We use the leash of remindfulness to bring the wandering puppy-like mind back to the object of attention when it wanders, when we're distracted. We use the leash of remindfulness to bring our attention back to the breath or the mantra or whatever we're concentrating on, the physical sensations in Goenka's Vedna Vipassana, whatever it is, or in the jhana practice, back to metta, loving-kindness, resolve. So that's intermittent mindfulness. We're training, and then we get to stable mindfulness where the attention, the mind, the focus remains where it's placed. It's called placement. That's like samadhi in Sanskrit and Hinduism. Meditative absorption. Stable mindfulness. It doesn't come and go so much. It's like when you are fit, your, mu- your muscles are firm. You don't have to exercise every day. Just you know, a few times, several times a week, keep it firm. So that's fourth. And then fifth is like interpenetrating or interwoven mindfulness where it really broadens out into everything. Total awareness, mindfulness. 
We'll talk later about if there's a difference between mindfulness and awareness and so on. So fifth, and this is an arc of development, obviously, which is why I'm interested in it, and my students are, for how we train and understand that sometimes you backslide and you go back to generating, and then you get to intermittent, and then you get to stabilized. And then fifth is this interpenetrating, interwoven, very permeable mindfulness, like people talk about things like non-dual awareness or oneness or inseparability, interpenetrativeness, interconnectedness. Where it's big, where it includes everything. And it's not just including everything like a bag around everything. It's inseparable from everything. Like H2O throughout all the waters of the world, whether they're salty or not, whether they're frozen or flowing. Interpenetrative total awareness mindfulness, which is like a, a great oneness. And then sixth is what we call, this is actually a technical term in Tibetan Buddhism, Dharmakaya mindfulness. It may never have been spoken here at this center. I don't know. You tell me. I've heard this from my own gurus, the gurus that our own friends and teachers admire. This is not something I made up while I was high on my initials at Esalen in the hot tub. <laughs> Lama Surya Das in the hot tub. <laughs> Dharmakaya mindfulness. Even dharmakaya is, is hard to define, but I've just put the, you know, it's enlightenment mind, it's, it's the absolute bodhicitta, it's the cosmic awareness, it's, it's God's mind, if you want to use words. I mean, any language is a weak translation of the, the deep truths. And the dharmakaya awareness really is not separate from the innate mindfulness of attention, so we come back to the first one. So it's really throughout all six, if you hear what I'm saying. Please hear what I'm saying. Not just from here to there. We all love rainbows, but when we grow up, we see them from plain, and we see it's a circle. It's, it's rainbow all the way around, not just from here. To, there's no pot of gold at the end. This is the pot of gold, the rainbow. Yes? And in Tibetan Buddhism, that's why we, they talk about, you know, I don't talk about this at miracles that much. But there's a miraculous side to all of this, even the most basic dharma day or moment. They talk about the rainbow body of perfect enlightenment because it becomes like that. And it's everything. That's not our subject today. So that's my six kinds of mindfulness for practice purposes, for development, and also inclusion, being there while getting there. It's all that while we're cultivating developed, cultivated mindfulness, generating it and stabilizing it and intermittent and coming and going and gaining concentration and losing concentration. Mindfulness and concentration are quite different but related. All the way up to the total interpenetrative interwovenness mindfulness and then the Dharmakaya mindfulness, the ultimate sphere, the big circle, the great snow globe as I call it, in which everything is, you know, snow globed, just... If karmic winds shake it, then there's all kinds of stuff going on. If they don't, it's, still, it's all there. Everything is already perfectly at rest, though. As Tibetan scriptures say, everything is already perfectly at rest. Nirvanic peace is things just as they are. That's an awesome radical war cry of Dharma. Not enlightenment later after many lifetimes of schlepping to enlightenment. 
Although sometimes it feels like that, don't it? How many retreats have you gone to and proud of? Still schlepping to enlighten and carry. Now we carry, I mean me, carry all my books and notes and, you know, tapes. And, I mean, it takes a lot of props to get enlightened today. <laughs> but it's all props. It doesn't matter. Appearances are all. I mean, you could say it's all appearances. That means appearances are all. There's nothing deeper or behind to find. So that's a little talk about mindfulness, perhaps with a few new ideas in it. I could go on. I have lots of material I'd like to get to today. Um, and I will mention the six kinds from the Tibetan tradition, but they're a little more old-fashioned and less interesting. So we'll get to that. And I'll write the, my six original kinds on the board in case anybody's a note-taker and likes to take these home or you can ask your other friends if, if they think about these things. Any questions before we have our mid-morning knee, tea, and pee break? Please ask your questions. I could talk all day, I assure you. But a, a little laser coaching would help get to the, your point. I'm not entirely sure if this is a question, but <clears throat> which Speaking level mic, uh, we all... Many of us engage in activities, biking, driving, where it's sort of forced mindfulness, like we're putting ourselves Wait, in a Slowly. Is it forced mindfulness? Well, we're, where we are putting mm -hmm. ourselves in positions right. where it requires a high degree of mindfulness to sort Good of point. survive, like racing a bike down a steep hill or right. something so like that. Right, so that's like what I said, natural mindfulness, because of interest, mm -hmm. like survival instinct. You're interested, you pay attention. And you, it seems When you're like, bored, you fall asleep, right? Yeah. It seems like there's some sort of... We, we engage in these activities because there's a quality of that hyper-attentiveness that we enjoy and we, and we seek. Thank you. Yeah. Go slow. You're a little fast for me. <laughs> Can everybody hear that and follow? There's a degree of hyper-attentiveness that naturally it comes forth from where? From you, from within, from the mind, if you insist. Not from the bike, the mm -hmm. ski, the snow. Yes? Mm-hmm that naturally comes forth because you're interested in staying alive, not crashing, not killing your, I don't know what, kid on the back, whatever. Well, I'm also thinking that... So you're hypervigilant, which is the natural mindfulness. So mm -hmm. this is a principle, a tantric principle of using the opponent as the propellant, mm -hmm. not avoiding it, like trying to avoid hurrying or danger or poison, you know, using the poison as the medicine as an example. Yeah. So when we do these things, these natural samadhis, sex is another one, they tremendously heighten attention. That's why there's tantric yoga in Hinduism and Buddhism at least, mm -hmm. probably elsewhere. Yeah. Because you're very interested. <laughs> I mean, Oscar Wilde may have been checking out the wallpaper while he was doing it, but most people... <laughs> are very interested in not thinking about their to-do list while they're lovingly doing it. Yes? Mm -hmm. So that's like what you said, an extreme, extreme sports, because there's danger, you're hypervigilant. And I'm thinking we, it's not... So we should use that. Mm -hmm. We should see what works for us to make us hypervigilant. Then that's our natural meditation, excuse me. Not just trying to sit and imitate somebody else's meditation. And then saying, oh, it's so goddamn hard to keep my mind on the breath. Oh, anyway, what good is it? Like, what's spiritual about breath watching? I mean, where's God in this, as a rabbi asked me? 
I'd just say that I'm actually thinking that it's not necessarily the biking that I enjoy. It's the the need to be attentive, hyper attentive, to do that. So it's not like I'm I'm mindful to stay alive. I'm actually putting myself in a situation where that is created, and that's what I'm enjoying, and that right. could be a, a variety of activities. Yes, and then you walk be. away from that, and you're like, wow, I just spent an hour being really, really attentive. Yeah, and time attentive. goes fast like yeah. nothing, because time is so relative. Yeah. And at some other time, when you're bored, you know, like the watched pot never boils, mm -hmm. because it's just, you're watching it. It seems to be yeah. taking so long, even though it's only two minutes or five minutes. Yeah. The word hyper, I would uh, look at. Mm -hmm. We don't want to get addicted to hyperness in order just to be alive and present. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you, you know what happens. Well, there are people like the wingsuit base jumpers, you know, who are flying. And, you know, I've heard them talk about their mindfulness <laughs> experiences. Yeah. Thank you. So one of the things that I was going to talk about today, if we got to it, was natural meditation. How we, first of all, most of us probably already do it like he does with his bicycling and the time goes fast and you love it. And there's a difference between being oblivious and being present. I know that there's a great debate raging in a very peaceful Buddhist community <laughs> about whether we should, we, you know, have to be, should be more present or more absent. That's a good joke. No self. Buddhists, anatta, okay, doesn't matter. No ego, okay, doesn't matter. But there's not that much difference between no self and being totally present. Because when you get out of your own, own way, there's a lot more, you know, pre, uh, the, uh, trans, uh, the transpersonal being is there, not one's little um, occluded ego casting a shade over the inner sunlight. Does that make sense? Like when you split the atom, I'm sure you've all split a couple atoms with your you know, nuclear whatever reactor. Where does all that energy come from? Where does nuclear energy, all that atomic energy come from that can blow up the whole you know, world or a Hiroshima? It's all the energy that was holding the little molecule, uh, uh, electrons and protons together, yes? Basic science, that's us. All of our energy is tied up holding our ego, our self, our trip, together. I call it selfing. It's a full-time job. <laughs> Don't wonder why we have chronic fatigue syndrome. I mean, it's fatal fatigue syndrome. And it's, de it's deadening our life. So, I think it's very important to work with the energy but not become too hyper. That's an extreme. And we get addicted to always have to be high or a peak experience and get the next one rather than just more equanimous and, you know, surfing the waves and enjoying it and not being depressed if there's not a hyper feeling all the time. So I hope we're communicating. So we all have these natural meditations like a bird watching. I don't know. Um, since I'm here at Spirit Rock, I can't help but see the Jewish bodhisattva grandmother, Sylvia Borstein, floating around in the, everybody's aura here. <laughs> Even though she might be in France or who knows where she is or in the back row, I don't know. She, you know, who could see her? <laughs> What's her natural meditation? Anybody know? Yes, loving, yes. Knitting. No, loving is way too high, of course. We all want to be more loving, and that should be our natural meditation. Knitting. 
when she's knitting, and of course she's not just knitting, she's knitting little things for her grandchildren, you know, the heart and the love is there. She, she's the first one to say, that's my meditation now. And it includes loving kindness, compassion, and others. There's no selfishness in that, and, and it's very attentive. You know what happens if you get distracted while you're knitting? You, you poke yourself, you have to start again. I don't know, you get a big knot, hole. How about the American male meditation of fishing? Now, I know you're all very ahimsa, vegetarians, and you would never <laughs> harm anybody. But a lot of men, probably women too, are out there in the lake with their hip boots on. So I'm just painting a picture. And at least in the old days, now they probably have an iPhone and a beeper and everything else. But um, in the old days, out on the lake alone, in the rowboat or, or, or with the water, standing there for hours doing nothing. Who can never meditate or sit still in, in a meeting or in, in a church? And they get so relaxed and, and what? Love it so much. Natural meditation. Co-meditation with nature. Or bird watching. You know when you go bird watching? I'm sure you will do that because there's so many wonderful birds here in Marin. And it's Spirit Rock. It's like a Buddha field here this center. The stiller you get, the more you see. Is that not a contemplative awareness Slogan for bird watchers of all kinds. The stiller you get, the more you see. Like at night. You want to play hide and seek at night. The stiller you get, the, then you can see the movement. Like mind reading, the stiller your mind, the more you see the other minds move. So there's a lot of natural meditations. Whenever I see water, I meditate. It meditates me. The sound of the waves, the movement, the flow, I don't know what it is, any kind. It meditates me. Maybe for you it's fire, any of the elements, wind, space, sky. Yes, in the back row we have a very patient hand back there, a young lady with a question. Natural meditation, very important. Do we have a question in the back there? Yes, ma'am. I'm not a young lady. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, I don't hear well. N uh, music and dance, all of these can be good natural meditations while she's trying to make her mic work. You know, whatever is natural for you. Gardening, is that not a great one? People who will never kneel in church will kneel all day in the most reverential, peaceful, so solo, happy way. Yes. Thank you. I'm from New York and you make me feel at home. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know that a lot of us in the West, especially in California and especially in Marin, are very mindful around food. We love to prepare food. We love to shop for food. And, and every time I've ever been on a retreat here, there's a eating mindfulness, a mindful eating meditation on a raisin. It's yes. probably everywhere. Right. But we seem to put a limit on that mindfulness and don't look right. at the source Only of the food. Only raisins, not grapes. <laughs> Why is that? But we seem to never look at the source of our food and the suffering that goes into creating that food. And you just joked yeah. about the fishing, but even right. at Spirit Rock, we serve all kinds of products that came from suffering, from, you know, the dairy cows would take the babies from their parents yes. as soon as they're born, and the eggs 
right. the, the laying hands. And we wear leather and use silk and have ivory. But and, in food, you know. it's something we do three times a day, and our mindfulness seems to have a limit. We cultivate mindfulness in preparation, and we cultivate mindfulness in eating, but we don't cultivate the mindfulness of looking at the yes. source. So Thank I'm you. just wondering about the limits to that, right. why we don't look at the source of the, of the food. I don't know about why, but it's a good question. I wouldn't say our mindfulness has its limits. I would more say like our consciousness or our heart has its limits. It's bigger than mindfulness. Thank you. Like Mother Teresa said, you know, loneliness is the cancer of the modern age, and we feel so alone and separate, you know, that we, it's because we draw the circle of our loving so t small and tight, implying concentric circles of loving, opening the heart and the life and the arms and attention and being aware of, you know, the world. I mean, we all have different worlds. You know, some of us are aware of the 600-day siege and starvation in home Syria, and some aren't. But, you know, maybe the, the people that aren't following the new, that news on international wires are very aware of the local fauna and flora and eating locally and educating the children and, you know, volunteering to have gardening classes and all the things that maybe the public school doesn't provide. I don't know, just you can make up your own examples. Of course, we have environmental crisis and everything else, yes. There's, I don't need to explain here, you know, that Buddha was nonviolentist, ahimsa, and many say vegetarian, but not all anyway. It's about compassion and caring and, and empathy, feeling the pain of others and doing the best you can. Because where do you draw the line? It's good to be aware of the suffering that we cause, but some of it can't be helped. Like if you fly in planes, the, I don't know, the bugs and the birds, not to mention from the macadam tarmacs over the worms and, you know, the oil products. And where do you draw the line? So um, if I had to guess, Spirit Rock is probably vegetarian, but I haven't been here in five years. I don't know. And there's probably no hunting here. Not just noble silence. And, and, and there's five precepts, you know, so no killing, that's hard, almost impossible. And no lying, almost impossible. And no stealing, means taking what's not given, almost impossible. But we try. And no, what's fourth, uh, sexual, mm, I won't say deviance, it comes to mind. No, sexual misconduct, harmful, almost impossible, but, you know, not really. And fifth, intoxicants, almost impossible. Where do you draw the line of what are and aren't intoxicants? At legality? Local leg legality? So where do you draw the line? Not why is mindfulness so limited? We could definitely open our hearts and our concentric circles of loving and caring and stewardship and embracing, definitely. And let's do that and remind each other. Thank you. But not preachifying and righteous. It doesn't make us any better than anybody else. I don't know that we need to make our cats vegetarian. I don't know. I mean, people talk like that. Should we or shouldn't we? I'm a llama. They ask me all the time. Yes, ma'am. Standing up there. I just have a quick question. What Thank is you. the um, Which kind of mindfulness would be the mindfulness of energy? I don't know. What do you mean by energy? Um, well, there's so many different kinds. What, just tell me what you're thinking a little, please. Um, the vibration, the awareness of, of um, like, 
um, depending on how mindful you are and the sensitivity, uh, intuitions, energies that right. you can become permeate you, energies that are separate from you, energies from, right. you know, tight chi uh, energies. Yes. Those, all those awarenesses, I'm sure, fall under one type of mindfulness, perhaps, or I, they they um, overlap or interweave with a few. Okay. So. Because you're asking a sincere question, um, you know, the word energy gets a little vague, but you are thinking about something, and it's good what you're trying to work out, I believe. It sounds good. Well, try and understand better the guidance around it. Yes. Like where to source it. Yes. So in Tibetan Buddhism, the practices are always talked about for body, speech, and mind. So energy is usually about the speech, the breath, the energy, the mind, the heart, mind, the emotions, the consciousness, and the body. Okay. Like bowing is more of a body practice, but has a mental component and an energy component. Chanting is more speech practice, but has a concentration, mind, pro and a body component, right? Breath, tongue, so they're interwoven. And you could break it up into subcategories. But basically, so we look at things like that, or like there's outer activities, karmic activities, like behavior. Then there's inner, that are like attitudes and consciousness that you can work on or transform or make karma with or purify karma with. And then there's the innermost that are more like mental invisible, not like behavior, but still important, like intention and awareness and you know, selfish or unselfish, well, it's attitude, but uh, wisdom or ignorance. So therefore, in Tibetan Buddhism, which is a, let's say, my specialty or something, major, <laughs> there's uh, also Tibetan yoga. So I'm not going to talk about other traditions, what they have or don't have. So Tibetan Buddhism, since you want to source things, so there's chakras and channels and the six yogas, and so that includes physical yoga and breath yoga, and energy, you know, chi, prana yoga, and clear light yoga, and uh, meditation mind yoga, and dream yoga. So they do a lot of the different energies, ascending and descending, and like in yoga. So the chakras and channels, and then diseases that are caused by winds, energies, not just by bacteria, outer. So you can look into all those things. So therefore, there's Tibetan medicine and healing and psychiatry. There's even a book with that title. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's have our morning uh, break now for 10 or 15 minutes, and then we'll gather here until lunch. I just want to remind everyone, there is a retreat going on up there, the one- and two-month retreat, so please don't go up the hill past the gate. And um, anybody who was not registered this morning, please check in with me in the office. Thank you. I don't think so. Thank you. Hi. I just wanted to thank you very much for being here and tell you that um, I was I found one of your books just by being at the right place at the right time 14 years ago. Did it fall off the bookshelf at the just, just late about, borders? Just about. And hit you? It was over in Berkeley. And, and, uh, and, um, but it was the timing of that I had... 
gotten in a really um, life-threatening surfing accident in Hawaii, and a couple of other things, enormous <coughs> I was just in Maui around Mrs. house till Saturday. Oh, you were? Go on. Well, I, so, so anyway, I just want to say that this book that you wrote on... Um... Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.